0: Welcome back to case studies. Uh, today, we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics um, to think about and talk about and pick people's brains on. And it's the principle of investing, the topic of investing, and specifically around some of the rules um, that I, I've kind of come to have be kind of my guiding principles for when I want to underwrite, when I think about an investment. So I want to go back to the beginning So my dad, um, when I was growing up, he would pay me to read books and it it was like the best, um, thing that a dad could ever do for a son. I, I was coin operated. I was, I was driven to, to go make money and outside of kind of mowing lawns and doing different jobs to go create money. My dad would pay me a hundred bucks for every book that I read that was on his kind of select reading list. And I still remember those books. They impacted me so, so much. It was the richest man in Babylon. It was rich dad, poor dad. It was think and grow, think and grow rich the magic of thinking big seven habits of high, highly affected people, how to win friends and influence people and all these things at like a super young age influence my worldview and kind of the way that I thought about life, the way I thought about um, investing and even just kind of my general philosophy about um, how, how success worked. And I remember I I talked to my dad when I was 17 years old and I said, Hey, like my dad was a real estate agent. He owned some rental properties. And I said, what would it take for me to buy a rental property? I'd, I'd made some money kind of mowing lawns over the summer And he, he went and he talked to somebody that was listed their house. It was an older gentleman. And I think the guy got a kick out of me wanting to buy a house. And so he let me buy his house with nothing down and he acted as the bank. And I, you know, signed for the house at 17 and there was a renter in the home. And from 17 until 21 years old, you know, I, I, would get a check on a monthly basis that was more than the rent that I had to pay. And it just kind of lit me up on this idea that, um, that I could go invest in something and that it would create passive income that would create freedom for me in the future. And I remember I was being on my mission and on, you know, on your church mission, you get this stipend every month and it was two to 300 bucks. And I remember I was getting $300 additional every single month, and i i was like the richest kid on the mission i was living like a king and i had this surplus and and it it really impacted the way i thought about um investing and and wanted to be somebody that was an investor um i read this book rich dad poor dad and you know i grew up in a you know my parents each of them worked all the way growing up my mom's a nurse my dad was a real estate agent but i had friends And specifically, one friend that his dad was a super successful business owner, and they, you know, I saw the things that they experienced and and wanted that was aspirational for that. When I grew up with my with my family and my kids, and saw investing as that vehicle and the way to go get there. And I remember I got home off my mission, and another one of my buddies uh, from my church mission, uh, his dad. Um, had exited a company uh, for a big number. I think it was fifty or sixty million dollars. And I remember going to my friend and I just said, Hey, would would your dad be open to me interviewing him? I'm 21 years old. And I went and sat down with him, and and I remember just being so impressed with how confident he was. Um, and he sat down, he he was interviewing me and basically said, you know, you're like the kid that's gonna go try to climb the mountain and go try to slay the dragon. He said if I could just give you any advice it's this that you have to pay the price. There's a price to success and you've got to pay the piper and you can pay him now or you can pay him later but you will pay him and, and that always stuck out to me. But then the second thing he said, he gave me this book, The Richest Man in Babylon and he said every thing that I've learned about finance is in this book. And when I've lived the principles from this book um, I've been successful. And when I violated them, I've lost money. And so I went and I read that book and it's kind of been a foundational, uh, a foundational piece of how I think about investing and how I think about money. And so what I want to talk about is kind of, you know, after 20 years since that date and investing as actively as I can invest, you know, since that time, kind of what I've learned, kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, And specifically, you know, the, the leaders in the books that influenced me the most. And so just to kind of list them off to get going, Tony Robbins, money masters of the game, Tony Robbins, unshakable, um, the richest man in Babylon, multiple streams of income, um, rich dad, poor dad, the Cash Flow quadrant, rich dad's guide to investing. Um, that they were all simple enough for me to go read that I could understand at those different points. Um, and the compound effect, uh, by Darren Hardy. And so th- this is kind of the, the me taking the best out of these and kind of formulating my own little core, um, group of principles that I think about, uh, Warren Buffett snowball and anything that Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger have written is just absolute gold. But I want to talk about kind of my personal five principles of investing. So, so number one is, uh, understanding the principle of compounding. Um, Einstein said that compounding is the eighth wonder of the world that, um, if you understand it, you'll be wealthy and if you don't, you won't. And the compounding applies to your education. It, it, you know, applies to your career, to your relationships, but specifically with money. And and it's very hard to compute, but the basic idea is that if you put your money to work, and if you let the principle grow over time, that that number will turn into a big number over time. And that time is your best friend. Um, when Warren Buffett was asked, um, about his success, he he broke it down to two things. He said, you know, really good genes. He's lived till he was really old. Charlie Munger just passed away. He was 99 years old. Um, and living in America, you know, having the, the, Laws and the capital and the infrastructure to be able to go kind of invest without, you know, big economic or political turmoil that's disrupted that compounding effect. And so, number one is uh, get money and put it to work. Um, That as you go make money, that if you can put it to work today and that it works over the period of time, that that money is going to continue to grow and it's going to compound. And that these early years, the sooner that you get started, um, the bigger and the better that it gets kind of in your old age versus starting later. And so number one is just understanding that I want to be long-term and that I want to let the money kind of grow and compound year over year. Number two, it's Warren Buffett's famous, don't lose money. Uh, Warren Buffett basically said, I've got two rules to investing. Rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is follow rule number one. And so if you couple those two together, if if you can manage your downside and think about the downside and protect against downside risk first, and then work on the upside, it's different than most people approach investing, different than I have at different points in my life. And when I've lost money, it's when I haven't been as conscientious, conscientious as I should have been from managing the downside. Um i've I've had a couple of deals um that I've done recently that I did four or five six years ago that the deal did not go as planned and um got a call from the person that I invested with that he basically said, Hey, somebody else is coming to buy out you know buy the company. It's not the result that you wanted, but you are gonna get your principal back plus ten percent and I had written it off to zero. And that for me was like a massive win, you know, for me, just getting my principal back at that point was a massive win. And so, but I had it structured where, you know, it had to get paid off for somebody else to come in. There was a preferred security in place. So it was an example of a deal not going the way that I wanted it to and having a positive outcome just because of downside risk and structure. And so any deal that I do today Um, I'm so conscientious about managing downside risk and trying to just preserve principle. And if you just don't lose money and it compounds over time, it it becomes kind of this really powerful force. Um, So, the third principle is to take asymmetric risk. Um, And asymmetry, it's kind of a narrow bottom with a big top. And it's basically saying underwriting deals is hard and making capital allocation is hard. And if you get it right, you want multiples on your capital versus um, a lower return. And so it's, you know, trying to be disciplined at what is the minimum hurdle? um, What's the minimum return profile both from a multiple on invested capital or MOIC, um, or an IRR basis that kind of meets my criteria of investing. And the The best part about investing is you can look at a hundred deals and say no to a hundred deals. You you don't have to say yes to everything, and so you can be very patient. And so for me, kind of having a minimum IRR target and a minimum multiple on invested capital allows me to know what to say yes to and say no to. And even some kind of really attractive deals that are a three-month or a five-month deal with kind of a, you know, attractive return profile, I'm more disciplined today in saying no to those deals because there's not a big enough, there's not enough asymmetry to that investment. That there's not enough upside. And, you know, the downside risk is always there. But you want to, you know, for me personally, I want to make sure that, um, if I do invest capital, that there's an opportunity to two, three, four, five x plus that um, investment. Um, because there's opportunity cost by saying yes to one deal, you're saying no to something else. So, principle number three is take asymmetric risk. Principle number four is diversification. Um, wealth is created by concentration; it's maintained through diversification. And so so many of us, you know, um, the money, the original money that you make, it's from your it's from your skill set, or it's from the business that you built. It's from you know your focused effort on yourself that you go create this first pool of capital. And so wealth is created by concentration. It's just going all in on yourself or your business or this one thing. But to maintain wealth over time, it's going to be maintained by diversification. The the simplest way for me to think about this is if I have an apple tree and it's the best apple tree in the world and it kicks off all these amazing apples and it gets struck by lightning, I lose my entire apple tree and I don't get any more apples. But if I can go have 100 apple trees, um, I can have... One or two or three or four of those get struck by lightning, and I still have the majority of my apple trees that are kicking out apples and so uh having diversification as a principle, whether it's in public equities, whether it's in private investments um allows me to to follow rule number two of not losing money um but then also spreading it around where um everything doesn't have to go perfectly. Um, for the deal to work. And so really good examples of this in alternative or different funds. There's amazing fund managers, um, that I'll invest with Sundance Bay with Sinosure that's local, um, peak capital. They do multifamily dauntless. They do hope they do hotels. And so there, there's all these different categories of funds. You've got album that does early stage VC. Um, you've got Andrew Smith. And Mercado that have a a fund that's uh, specific to restaurants Um, and all those, you know, I personally invest in and it kind of gives me diversification in an asset class that I'm definitely not the expert, but you're investing with experts, but you're also spreading your bets around over a lot of different assets. So it's not just all of your money in one building or all of your money in one restaurant or all of your money in one hotel but spreading it out over a lot of different hotels, you know, in money masters of the game, they talk about this idea of, you know, if you're not going to go invest as a principal um, the best thing that you can do is get in the market um, and pay as low of fees as possible. And so getting, you know, a Vanguard account um, minimum fees, being in the S and P 500, you basically are allowed to go get a small piece of the best companies in America, um, and you own a piece of Apple and Amazon and the best five hundred companies, and your money's spread out over all those different companies um, where it limits your downside and also gives you exposure to the the market and then you go create that diversification um, you know that there's so many factors at work if you if you sat in cash over the last two or three years, you just got absolutely crushed from inflation, you know, inflation got up close to 10%. So you were losing 10% of your money just being in cash. And so the idea of, you know, having your money spread out over a lot of different things, um, allows you to maintain wealth and also kind of follow those early rules of compounding, um, diversification, not losing money, having asymmetry, um, and, the, the last principle that I want to talk about is tax efficiency. So th- this is a, the tax code is crazy complex. It's ever changing. And I think it's overwhelming for people, but you need to be a student of taxes and you need to be a diligent student because it's the biggest expense any of us will ever have in our entire lifetime is taxes. And every new, um, political change, there is a change in the tax code that will affect you one way or the other. And the wealthiest people in the world, they hire the best specialists and they get extremely smart on the rules of the game that the IRS gives in taxes. And if you are not smart on those things, then you'll leave a lot of hard-earned money on the table just because you you don't get educated on what write-offs are available and what strategies are available to pay the least amount of tax that you can legally pay. And so, all these things we factor when we're doing deals um, and, and try to, you know, take advantage of the different tailwinds that happen in different political environments, different economic environments, different cycles of recession and growth. Um, anyway, so the, the last, the last thing that I want to share before I finish up on this topic of investing, there's a story in the richest man in Babylon and he goes to his friend, he's working really hard. He's not getting ahead. And his friend who's the richest man in Babylon kind of gives him this rule. And he says, Hey, pay 10% of everything you make to yourself first. And he kind of counters him and he says, you know, everything that I make is mine to keep. And he's like, well, really? Like, what do you have left? And he didn't have anything left. He was, you know, living off more than he was making. And so he, he creates this habit in his life where he pays himself first and he starts creating this little nest egg. And then once he gets this nest egg, he goes and puts it to work. And so he creates capital and he goes and puts it to work. And so he goes and talks to his friend and he said, Hey um you know I I gave this money to my friend he's the brickmaker and I he's going to go buy diamonds with it and the richest man in Babylon tells him you know you're a fool the Phoenicians are scoundrels they 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 stole your they stole your money you lost all your money and he you know was heartbroken but hoped it wasn't true and his friend comes back and he's dejected and he went to the Phoenicians and he got scammed by the Phoenicians. They sold him glass instead of um, diamonds like he thought. So he goes back to work, um, continues to pay himself first, creates another nest egg. He's living off less than he consumes, creates this nest egg. And he goes back and talks to his friend. And the lesson that he learned was, if you're going to invest with the brick maker, invest with him to build bricks. And if you're going to invest with the shield maker, invest with him to make shields. And just this simple idea that I am going to find the expert in that field, somebody that is best in class, and I'm going to invest with that expert to do the thing that they're expert on um, has been a really good um, investing strategy for me. And it's something that I try to operate on which is, is this person that I've invested with, do they have a track record of doing this before? And are they exceptional at what they do? And if you can kind of couple those two things that they have a, a track record of success and they're the best in what they do, then that, you know, ultimately has been something that I've done really well when when those things match up. And and the contrast to that, when I've lost money, I've given money to the brickmaker to go buy diamonds. I've given money to somebody that could be a great person but they're doing something that's way outside of their competency level or their skill set and because of that they you know there's unforeseen risk that they didn't see that ends up being the reason that we lost money so anyway thank you guys for listening this is a core topic that I love talking about that I'm super passionate about And hopefully some of this stuff you can apply in 2024 to go get ahead financially and kind of kick off that financial investing engine.